Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from 50 Famous Stories Retold by James Baldwin. Sir Philip Sidney A cruel battle was being fought. The ground was covered with dead and dying men. The air was hot and stifling. The sun shone down without pity on the wounded soldiers lying in the blood and dust. One of these soldiers was a nobleman, whom everyone loved for his gentleness and kindness. Yet he was now no better off than the poorest man in the field. He had been wounded and would die, and he was suffering much with pain and thirst. When the battle was over, his friends hurried to his aid. A soldier came running with a cup in his hand. "'Here, Sir Philip,' he said, "'I have brought you some clear, cool water from the brook. I will raise your head so that you can drink.' The cup was placed to Sir Philip's lips. How thankfully he looked at the man who had brought it. Then his eyes met those of a dying soldier who was lying on the ground close by. The wistful look in the poor man's face spoke plainer than words. "'Give the water to that man,' said Sir Philip quickly. And then, pushing the cup toward him, he said, "'Here, my comrade, take this. Thy need is greater than mine.' What a brave, noble man he was! The name of Sir Philip Sidney will never be forgotten, for it was the name of a Christian gentleman who always had the good of others in his mind. Was it any wonder that everybody wept when it was heard that he was dead?' It is said that on the day when he was carried to the grave, every eye in the land was filled with tears. Rich and poor, high and low, all felt that they had lost a friend. All mourned the death of the kindest, gentlest man that they had ever known. The Ungrateful Soldier Here is another story of the battlefield, and it is much like the one I have just told you. Not quite a hundred years after the time of Sir Philip Sidney, there was a war between the Swedes and the Danes. One day a great battle was fought, and the Swedes were beaten and driven from the field. A soldier of the Danes, who had been slightly wounded, was sitting on the ground. He was about to take a drink from a flask. All at once he heard someone say, "'Oh, sir, give me a drink, for I am dying.' It was a wounded Swede who spoke. He was lying on the ground only a little way off. The Dane went to him at once. He knelt down by the side of his fallen foe and pressed the flask to his lips. "'Drink,' said he, "'for thy need is greater than mine.' Hardly had he spoken these words when the Swede raised himself on his elbow. He pulled a pistol from his pocket and shot at the man who would have befriended him. The bullet grazed the Dane's shoulder, but did not do him much harm." "'Ah, you rascal!' he cried. "'I was going to befriend you, and you repay me by trying to kill me. "'Now I will punish you. "'I would have given you all the water, but now you shall have only half.' "'And with that he drank the half of it, and then gave the rest to the Swede. "'When the king of the Danes heard about this, he sent for the soldier "'and had him tell the story just as it was. "'Why did you spare the life of the Swede after he had tried to kill you?' asked the king." "'Because, sir,' said the soldier, "'I could never kill a wounded enemy.' "'Then you deserve to be a nobleman,' said the king, "'and he rewarded him by making him a knight "'and giving him a noble title.'" Sir Humphrey Gilbert 
More than three hundred years ago there lived in England a brave man whose name was Sir Humphrey Gilbert. At that time there were no white people in this country of ours. The land was covered with forests, and where there are now great cities and fine farms, there were only trees and swamps among which roamed wild Indians and wild beasts. Sir Humphrey Gilbert was one of the first men who tried to make a settlement in America. Twice did he bring men and ships over the sea, and twice did he fail and sail back for England. The second time he was on a little ship called the Squirrel. Another ship, called the Golden Hind, was not far away. When they were three days from land, the wind failed, and the ships lay floating on the waves. Then at night the air grew very cold. A breeze sprang up from the east. Great white icebergs came drifting around them. In the morning the little ships were almost lost among the floating mountains of ice. The men on the hind saw Sir Humphrey sitting on the deck of the squirrel with an open book in his hand. He called to them and said, "'Be brave, my friends. We are as near heaven on the sea as on land.' Night came again. It was a stormy night with mist and rain. All at once the men on the hind saw the lights on board the squirrel go out. The little vessel, with brave Sir Humphrey and all his brave men, was swallowed up by the waves. Sir Walter Raleigh There once lived in England a brave and noble man whose name was Walter Raleigh. He was not only brave and noble, but he was also handsome and polite, and for that reason the Queen made him a knight and called him Sir Walter Raleigh. I will tell you about it. When Raleigh was a young man, he was one day walking along a street in London. At that time the streets were not paved, and there were no sidewalks. Raleigh was dressed in very fine style, and he wore a beautiful scarlet cloak thrown over his shoulders. As he passed along, he found it hard work to keep from stepping in the mud and soiling his handsome new shoes. Soon he came to a puddle of muddy water, which reached from one side of the street to the other. He could not step across. Perhaps he could jump over it. As he was thinking what he should do, he happened to look up. Who was it coming down the street on the other side of the puddle? It was Elizabeth, the Queen of England, with her train of gentlewomen and waiting maids. She saw the dirty puddle in the street. She saw the handsome young man with the scarlet cloak standing by the side of it. How was she to get across? Young Raleigh, when he saw who was coming, forgot about himself. He thought only of helping the Queen. There was only one thing that he could do, and no other man would have thought of that. He took off his scarlet cloak and spread it across the puddle. The Queen could step on it now, as on a beautiful carpet. She walked across. She was safely over the ugly puddle, and her feet had not touched the mud. She paused a moment and thanked the young man. As she walked onward with her train, she asked one of the gentlewomen, "'Who is that brave gentleman who helped us so handsomely?' "'His name is Walter Raleigh,' said the gentlewoman. "'He shall have his reward,' said the queen. Not long after that, she sent for Raleigh to come to her palace. The young man went, but he had no scarlet cloak to wear. Then, while all the great men and fine ladies of England stood around, the queen made him a knight.' and from that time he was known as Sir Walter Raleigh, the Queen's favorite. Sir Walter Raleigh and Sir Humphrey Gilbert, about whom I've already told you, were half-brothers. When Sir Humphrey made his first voyage to America, Sir Walter was with him. After that, Sir Walter tried several times to send men to this country to make a settlement. But those whom he sent found only great forests and wild beasts and savage Indians. Some of them went back to England." 
Some of them died for want of food, and some of them were lost in the woods. At last, Sir Walter gave up trying to get people to come to America. But he found two things in this country which the people of England knew very little about. One was the potato, the other tobacco. If you should ever go to Ireland, you may be shown the place where Sir Walter planted the few potatoes which he carried over from America. He told his friends how the Indians used them for food, and he proved that they would grow in the old world as well as in the new. Sir Walter had seen the Indians smoking the leaves of the tobacco plant. He thought that he would do the same, and he carried some of the leaves to England. Englishmen had never used tobacco before that time, and all who saw Sir Walter puffing away at a roll of leaves thought that it was a strange sight. One day, as he was sitting in his chair and smoking, his servant came into the room. The man saw the smoke curling over his master's head, and he thought he was on fire. He ran out for some water. He found a pail that was quite full. He hurried back and threw the water into Sir Walter's face. Of course, the fire was all put out. After that, a great many men learned to smoke. And now tobacco is used in all countries of the world. It would have been well if Sir Walter Raleigh had let it alone. Pocahontas There was once a very brave man whose name was John Smith. He came to this country many years ago, when there were great woods everywhere, and many wild beasts and Indians. Many tales are told of his adventures, some of them true and some of them untrue. Among the latter is the following story. One day, when Smith was in the woods, some Indians came upon him and made him their prisoner. They led him to their king, and in a short time they made ready to put him to death. A large stone was brought in, and Smith was made to lie down with his head on it. Then two tall Indians with big clubs in their hands came forward. The king and all his great men stood around to see. The Indians raised their clubs. In another moment they would fall on Smith's head. But just then a little Indian girl rushed in. She was the daughter of the king, and her name was Pocahontas. She ran and threw herself between Smith and the uplifted clubs. She clasped Smith's head with her arms. She laid her own head upon his. "'Oh, father,' she cried, "'spare this man's life. I am sure he has done you no harm, and we ought to be his friends.' The men with clubs could not strike, for they did not want to hurt the child. The king at first did not know what to do. Then he spoke to some of his warriors, and they lifted Smith from the ground. They untied the cords from his wrists and feet and set him free. The next day King sent Smith home, and several Indians went with him to protect him from harm. After that, as long as she lived, Pocahontas was the friend of the white men, and she did a great many things to help them. George Washington and His Hatchet When George Washington was quite a little boy, his father gave him a hatchet. It was bright and new, and George took great delight in going about and chopping things with it. He ran into the garden, and there he saw a tree which seemed to say to him, "'Come and cut me down!' George had often seen his father's men chop down the great trees in the forest, and he thought it would be fine sport to see this tree fall with a crash to the ground. So he set to work with his little hatchet, and as the tree was a very small one, it did not take long to lay it low. Soon after that, his father came home. "'Who has been cutting my fine young cherry tree?' he cried. "'It was the only tree of its kind in this country, and it cost me a great deal of money.' He was very angry when he came into the house. "'If only I knew who killed that cherry tree,' he cried. "'I would. Yes, I would. "'Father!' 
cried little George. I will tell you the truth about it. I chopped the tree down with my hatchet. His father forgot his anger. George, he said, and he took the little fellow in his arms. George, I am glad that you told me about it. I would rather lose a dozen cherry trees than you should tell one falsehood. Grace Darling It was a dark September morning. There was a storm at sea. A ship had been driven on a low rock off the shores of the Farne Islands. It had been broken in two by the waves, and half of it had been washed away. The other half lay yet on the rock, and those of the crew who were still alive were clinging to it. But the waves were dashing over it, and in a little while it would, too would be carried to the bottom. Could anyone save the poor, half-drowned men who were there? On one of the islands was a lighthouse, and there, all through the stormy night, Grace Darling had listened to the storm. Grace was the daughter of the lighthouse keeper, and she had lived by the sea as long as she could remember. In the darkness of the night, above the noise of the wind and waves, she heard screams and wild cries. When daylight came, she could see the wreck a mile away, with the angry waters all around it. She could see the men clinging to the masts. "'We must try to save them,' she cried. "'Let us go out in the boat at once.' "'It is of no use, Grace,' said her father. "'We cannot reach them.' He was an old man, and he knew the force of the mighty waves. "'We cannot stay here and see them die,' said Grace. "'We must at least try to save them.' Her father could not say no. In a few moments they were ready. They set off in the heavy lighthouse boat. Grace pulled one oar and her father the other, and they made straight toward the wreck. But it was hard rowing against such a sea, and it seemed as though they would never reach the place. At last they were close to the rock, and now they were in greater danger than before. The fierce waves broke against the boat, and it would have been dashed in pieces had it not been for the strength and skill of the brave girl. But after many trials, Grace's father climbed upon the wreck, while Grace herself held the boat. Then one by one the worn-out crew were helped on board. It was all the girl could do to keep the frail boat from being drifted away or broken upon the sharp edges of the rock. Then her father clambered back into his place. Strong hands grasped the oars, and by and by all were safe in the lighthouse. There Grace proved to be no less tender a nurse than she had been brave as a sailor. She cared most kindly for the shipwrecked men until the storm had died away and they were strong enough to go to their own houses. All this happened a long time ago, but the name of Grace Darling will never be forgotten. She lies buried now in a little churchyard by the sea, not far from her old home. Every year many people go there to see her grave, and there a monument has been placed in honor of the brave girl. It is not a large monument but it is one that speaks of the noble deed which made Grace Darling famous. It is a figure carved in stone with a woman lying at rest with a boat's oar held fast in her right hand. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchantedlibrary. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading. <laughs>